sure it's cold this morning. <laughs> um, it's not as cold as um, where Charlotte and I have come from, um, let me tell you. Um, that's my car at 7 degrees um, this morning in the southern suburbs and uh, with a house with, with no heating as such. That's quite chilly. Um, fortunately, the uh, car has heating and I, I think I'll be all right up here without my coat. Anyway, well, hello. Hello, how are you all this morning? Uh, it's good to be with you um, again, Grace Presbyterian. And um, a special, my special welcome to uh, anybody who's here for the first time. It's great to have you with us. Um, as you know, uh, we've been going through um, this little book in the centre of the Bible, um, called um, Song of Songs, um, a chapter a month, and it's it's a love story. It's written in um, erotic poetry, which was typical of um, the time. Um, but it's a love story between um, the king of Israel um, and his bride, and it has much to teach us. Um, about in our own um, human love stories those of us who are married those of us who want to be married who are dating and it has much to teach us um, in our love story with the Lord Jesus for those of us who are Christians this morning so I hope um, we're all going to be blessed as we delve into the song um, chapter 5 and um, so let's pray to this end um, Father in heaven we thank you for your word we thank you for this little book Song of Songs and we pray that you would bless your word um, from the song to our hearts this morning and our hearts to your word for we ask it in Jesus name Amen Okay, so imagine um, this scenario. Imagine the person who matters most to you in the whole world and they catch you at just the wrong time. The most important person in your life calls on you unexpectedly, but it's not convenient. You're busy with something else, perhaps, and you don't respond well. What they want is the opposite of what you want. Got the picture? Yeah, well, that's what's going on here in the first half of Song of Songs, chapter 5. Now, you ladies who've been coming from the beginning, you know that at my home church, St. Barnabas, they call me the context police. And um, so we're going to look at the context of this chapter because it's quite hard studying a book uh, once a month like this. I, I know it is and I'm sure it is for you. And we want to be ladies who handle the Bible rightly, don't we? So we check out the context so that we can make the right, take the right meaning out of the passage. So let's just... Um, have a little, a very brief recap of the plot in the song so far. 
So back in chapter 1, that seems like a long time ago, right? Um, The bride, remember, she was concerned that her appearance wasn't much up to scratch. Dark am I, yet lovely, she said. But the king assures her how beautiful she is and tells her how she can find him. And then in chapter 2, we have the bride separated from the king by a wall, but he continues to woo her and encourage her to come away with him. Then in chapter 3, the king comes up from the wilderness for his wedding day. Remember, like Yahweh, coming up from Egypt. And in chapter 4, which we looked at a few weeks ago, the king speaks this beautiful love poetry over his bride. And he's using words that remind us of the promised land, the temple, the garden of Eden. And the marriage is consummated, that means it's complete and it's perfect. And now here in Song of Songs 5, we find the relationship between the king and the bride has hit a speed bump. It's gone cool. Somehow she's cooled towards him and there's distance between them. As we go on to look at the chapter in detail today, I hope that we'll come to see the pattern of the relationship um, between God and his people in the Old Testament and the pattern of the relationship between Christ and his people in the New Testament, that's the church, that's his bride, that's you and me if you're a Christian today. And that's a pattern that we know well because it's our pattern. It's the pattern of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this chapter breaks nicely down into two sections with a major turning point in the middle. So if you're taking notes, first um, the king is rejected, the bride is disciplined, that's the turning point, and then thirdly the king is praised. So first, the king is rejected, verses 2 through to 6. I wonder if you've ever heard God's voice calling you into a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus. I I hope perhaps that's even happened this year through our studies in Song of Songs. And it's one of the themes of the book and it's good to look at themes repeated over and over again. Um, I find that because it's more likely to go in. So in our last study, in chapter 4, we saw the bride and the groom celebrate their wedding night, not so. And we learned about God's high view of marriage and the profound importance of physical intimacy. We called it the mingling of souls. And so we come and we find a problem in the relationship between the bride and groom and that's quite a surprise, isn't it? I find it a surprise. All that intensity and passion and significance and rich language and then suddenly, boom, just like that, we've got a problem. 
We've got a lapse in their relationship for the second time in the book. The first one was back in chapter 2. If you remember when the king was calling his bride-to-be to follow him into the mountains and hills of life, to come out of her comfort zone and to trust him and to, to run with, with him, so to speak, to respond, um, to love him and to trust him. And remember, what did the bride say? No thanks. She was quite happy to stay where she was. She was safe. She was comfortable. No thanks. It's quite a surprise, isn't it? And yet the Bible is so realistic. And I know from my own life how quickly passion can give way to coolness. Whether that's in my human marriage or whether that's in my relationship with Jesus. I can come away from church on a Sunday morning and I'm just going to conquer the world for Jesus and guess what? By Monday morning, my heart is hard and it's cold and it's bored. And what had I been doing? Nothing really, just sleeping It's alarming how fast that can happen. Or is that just me? And that's what we have here. You'd think that after the wedding and the wedding night and all that passion and all that great sex, etc., our couple would be so loved up and nothing could ever possibly go wrong. So put your nose on verse 2. The bride says, I slept but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Now many of the commentators at this point think she's having a dream. If she's not having a dream, she's certainly half asleep. Doesn't really matter. The point is, her beloved, the king, the one her heart loves, He's come to call on her bedroom. And he says, verse 2, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Notice there how he uses four different love names for her. My sister, my darling, my dove, My flawless one. I mean, he's piling on the compliments here, isn't he? And his head and his hair, they're wet because it's, he's been, he's out in the night and it's cold, it's, it's late. And that's made his hair damp. But she's half asleep. He's wet from the night air and she's half asleep. And married ladies, you know what's coming next. The king desires intimacy with his bride and true to life, guess what she says, verse 3. I've taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? 
She's not impressed, is she? She's ready for bed. She's gone to bed. She's done. She's closed up shop. (laughs) How different is this from her response to him that we saw only one chapter ago, when nothing could dampen her passion? Now, it's probably not the next day in the drama. It's probably not the first morning of their, their, the next night of their honeymoon. It's probably not that. Um, it's more likely a little while later. But here she is making excuses and rejecting the king. It's not convenient. She's had a bath. She's gone to bed. The king has come to call and it's not a good time. None of this bothers him, of course. He just wants to call her by all these special names and he wants her to respond to him. And the fact that she's taken off her robe and she's half asleep, that's no problem. But the king and the bride are clearly in different frames of mind. They clearly desire different things. And I think those of us who are married can relate to the scene that Solomon was describing 3,000 years ago. Amazing, isn't it? Practically speaking, notice three things. Firstly, notice how many times she says, me and my. It's a clue for us when we're there. She says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? What that means, ladies, is that the bride is no longer focused on the king. She's focused on herself. She's lost focus on the one her heart loves. She doesn't want to be inconvenienced. She's got all kinds of excuses. They're rather flimsy, aren't they? Especially as her lover seems to have gone to quite a bit of trouble to get home to her. Second, notice how quickly this has happened. Contrast this with her passion and her ardour of the chapter before. In fact, many of the chapters so far in the song. So you can see I'm not sucking this out of my thumb. Please keep a finger in chapter 5 and turn back in your Bible. So just flick back a page or two to chapter 1, verse 7, where the bride says, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. So in that season of the relationship, she was quite willing to make the effort and to take the risk of travelling out into the fields, searing heat, midday sun, just to be with him. And now she can't even be bothered to get out of bed and open the door. It's just a reminder, isn't it, that a season of coolness and hardness can come on us very quickly. Thirdly, perhaps most seriously, notice that the 
opposite of burning love and passion is not necessarily hatred. It's simply bored and indifferent. And if that person is the most important person to you in the world, that's tragic, isn't it? So, back in chapter 5, verse 4, she says, My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening and my heart began to pound for him. Now, this is probably a reference to the kind of doors that they had in those days. Sometimes there was a hole in the door so that the owner of the home could reach in and open the door from the outside. So there's the king on the outside. Our bridegroom, our beloved. The hand that once embraced her. And of course this hand is different from any other hand, isn't it, ladies? This hand has a nail scar in it. Our heavenly bridegroom has nailed, scarred hands. And he reaches in to us in love and offers us his hand. And this is what we do when troubles come, often. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our hand in his and to trust him. He holds the whole world in his hands anyway. And so her heart begins to pound for him. And finally she says, I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. He's even left her a present on the handle of the door. And she puts on her robe and she climbs out of bed and she opens the door, but what? He's gone. She expected him to be right there when she got out of bed waiting for her but he's gone. Who's lost out? She has. And that's what happens when we don't respond when Jesus calls. It is so important ladies when we sense a call from the Lord to go to him in spirit straight away and to say yes Lord and of course what happens now she's anxious she can't find him he gives her no answer look at verse 6 I opened for my beloved but my love beloved had left he was gone my heart sank at his departure I looked for him but did not find him I called him but he did not answer she was expecting to see her beloved on the other side of the door wasn't she but he's not there he's not there and so 
we arrive at this interesting little turning point in the chapter. <coughs> Excuse me, which I've called The Bride is Disciplined. Verse 7. So like in chapter 3, our bride gets up and she goes out into the city to try and find the beloved. In chapter 3, she can find him. But in chapter 5, she can't. She finds the watchman instead. Verse 7. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Now, we first met these watchmen back in chapter 3 when the bride was looking for the king the first time. The watchmen are kind of like spiritual caretakers. They're sort of prophetic-like figures, those whom the Lord uses to watch over his people. Today, we would call them pastors. And sometimes their job is to warn us when we wander away from God. That's what prophets and pastors do. They warn us. Either way. Um, And here the watchmen discipline the bride in the song for refusing the king. Isn't that what happens to us from time to time? If we've wandered from the Lord, perhaps, or we've been slow to listen when he calls, or we've dug our heels in, refused to obey when we convicted about something. You know this passage well. Don't turn there now. Hebrews 12.6 says, My son, my sisters, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Who loves his child more? The father who allows the child to do what will harm him? Or the one who corrects and trains, even punishes the child to help him learn what is right. I know, I speak from experience here, it's never pleasant to be corrected and disciplined by God. But his discipline is a sign of his deep love for us. When God corrects us, we should see it as, his, as proof of his love, um, that he is our father, that we are his child. And in those times we should ask him what he's trying to say to us, what he's trying to teach us. So I don't think the watchman literally beat up the bride in the song here. But it can feel a bit like that, can't it? When we've been disciplined by the Lord, I know that, we can feel beaten up and bruised and shaken and he arranges circumstances around us to correct us and discipline us and to prove his love for us. I am your heavenly father. 
And it might be that some of us here this morning have taken our focus off the king. Maybe we're using the I word too much and we're thinking too much about ourselves and our own comfort. Maybe we're taking too long to respond to his voice when he calls. Maybe there are even one or two hearts here this morning that are simply bored by the things of God, by Jesus. And the passion and intensity that they had for him at first seems to have gone. The heart doesn't hate. It's not a strong emotion like that. It's much more dangerous. The heart just feels cold and indifferent and bored. Well, in that situation, discipline would be a mercy, wouldn't it? So we've seen the bride reject the king. We've seen the bride um, being disciplined. And then lastly, we see the king is praised. Verses 8 to 16. It's very important, isn't it, when we're in a season of spiritual dryness, that we remind ourselves who Jesus is. Unfortunately, our bride, somewhat chastened and shaken up by the watchman, she seems to have come to her senses and realised her mistake in rejecting him. She tries to enlist the help of the friends in finding the king, but all they say is, verse 9, How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others? And we could paraphrase this as, what's so special about him? There are lots of beloveds out there. Go get one of them. Fortunately, our lovesick bride, she's back on the page, praise God. And she takes the rest of the chapter to speak of the glories of the king and glories they are. She starts with a general description of the beloved in verse 10. She says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Think about the word radiant. It's used for a brilliant kind of white. You know, when it really works with the white sheets and you put them in the sunshine in South Africa and and in the sun's shining and it is so dazzling, it's so bright you can't look. It's blinding. The beloved is radiant like that. Perhaps it's meant to remind us of the picture of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9 where it says, The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. The sight of Jesus was blinding to the eye because the glory and the deity of Jesus were shining through his clothes. 
The bride also says the king is ruddy. This has to do with his physical appearance. He's very manly. So he is God and he is man. Two natures, one person. He's physically very attractive to her, certainly. And in the midst of many men, he would definitely stand out. But what she's saying here, it goes way beyond physical beauty. It's about significance. As we've seen before in the song, the poetry, it's trying to convey significance. Her beloved is the Davidic king. The reference to 10,000 reminds us of the song that Saul had slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, 1 Samuel 18. And he is radiant and ruddy. Our beloved is dazzling and ruddy. He is the son of God and he is the son of man. That's just a poetic way of saying there's no one else like him. The bride is putting it out there, ladies. His deity, his greatness, his glory, his supreme manhood. He is God and he is man. And we don't have time today to look at all the details in the poetry, but from verse 11 onwards, she goes on to paint this detailed portrait of the king. She starts with his head and his hair and goes all the way down to his feet. Listen to what she says, verses 11 to 13. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping myrrh. Lots of creation imagery again. Profound significance. She goes on. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is without blemish. He is without flaw. He is without peer. He is incomparable. He is the king above all kings. He is the rejected bridegroom whose praises we sing. And he summons us today to inconvenience ourselves that we might experience his love. He will reign in the kingdom that will never be shaken. He is the high priest of Israel. He is our great high priest. Jesus is our beloved. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus is, well, Jesus. 
So both in this Old Testament picture in the song and in the New Testament descriptions of Christ we see that everything about Jesus surpasses and excels everyone else and everything else. Every detail about Jesus is magnificent. We cannot imagine how. Overall, he is magnificent. And the bride sums it up like this, verse 16. Yes, he is altogether lovely. Let's just say that together. Yes, he is altogether lovely. Literally, all of him is lovely and desirable. Everything about him is lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Amazing, isn't it? And our bride wasn't thinking like this when the king knocked on the door and said, let me in. So as we pull the threads of this chapter together, I am reminded, we could be reminded of the picture in Revelation 3 of Jesus knocking on the door of the church in Laodicea. I think it's worth turning there. So flick forwards in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. verses 20 and 21 and as you turn there let me um, set the context for you Jesus has been writing letters to um, his churches and um, this is a letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea and it's not particularly flattering he condemns them for being lukewarm he says they're neither hot nor cold In fact, they're so lukewarm, he wants to spit them out of his mouth. Actually, it's more frank than that. It's actually vomit. And he says, verse 20, are you there? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see what's happened? Can you see here the pattern, the relationship between God and his people in the Old Testament? Song of Songs, chapter 5. Can you see the pattern of the relationship between Christ and his people, the church in the new? It's the typical pattern of our relationship with Jesus. We tend to go from passion and intensity to coolness and indifference at the flick of the switch. We reject the king God corrects us. He disciplines us, fortunately. And we go back to passion again and we praise the king. And so this chapter ends with the bride saying in verse 16, 
He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. She has managed to get the focus off herself and back onto the bridegroom. She's realised who it is that she turned down. And she's realised how incredibly precious and desirable he is to her. So how important, isn't it, ladies, that in seasons of spiritual and relational dryness, including marital coldness, we take time to remind ourselves who Jesus really is and what he is like. How important it is we take ourselves in hand, we pick up our Bibles, we read the living word and we determine to set our hearts by faith to praise and worship him for all that he is and all he has done. And when we do this, when we get our eyes off ourselves and fix them on him, we find that God revives our hearts. We take the word about Jesus and we fix our eyes on the person of Jesus and we praise Jesus, we worship Jesus. Jesus is altogether lovely and we find him to be more precious than anything else this world has to offer. Let's pray. We worship you, Lord Jesus, for all you are and all you've done. You are the king above all the other kings. You are fully God and fully man. You are outstanding among 10,000. And we worship you, Lord Jesus. We love you. And Father, we want to acknowledge that our love um, for you comes and goes. And we are sorry. Thank you that your love for us never does that. And it's always the same. Unfailing. Constant. Perfect. Thank you so much that when we search for you, you allow yourself to be found by us. You are the best song ever. Amen.